When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday. Thank you for joining me. Start hitting that uh, five-star review over Apple. Uh, start hitting the likes if you're watching over YouTube. Awesome show. We're going to start with football, and we're going to spend all evening talking with Steve Kim about football and some other events going on in the sports world. If you love sports, you're in the right place. You're going to get the freshest, best take on everything that just happened in the NFL playoffs, what happened with Caitlin Clark. If it happened in the sports world, the demise of Sports Illustrated, me, you, and Steve Kim are going to talk about it today. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back to the program. And I want to start with the conversation that is, I feel like, the most dominant right now. The Buffalo-Kansas uh, City football game uh, yesterday Kansas City Chiefs pull it out, I believe, 27-24. Josh Allen uh, makes some interesting decisions at the end of the game. Uh, Tyler Bass uh, missed a 44-yard field goal that possibly could have sent the game into overtime. Uh, Stephon Diggs uh, dropped a bomb early in the Buffalo's last drive. And, and then I think the other key factor is like, the Kansas City Chiefs were just better than I thought they would be at this time of the season playing at Buffalo. Kansas City's wide receivers, I thought, stepped up and played a marvelous game. And their defense made the kind of plays it's made all season. I don't think they've given up 30 points in a game this season. They didn't do it again yesterday. And so this leads me to what I think is the question of the day. There's a lot of conversation in the media space about Josh Allen. But is he most to blame hmm. uh, for the fall of the, the Buffalo Bills? And l let's rank them in order. How would you – is it Josh Allen most to blame? Is it Stephon Diggs? Is it the kicker? Or is it the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, the kicker would be last. Look, in, in conditions like that, that ball can swerve everywhere. Uh, I felt bad for Bass. Look, I – Honestly, I think the Bills' defense should be number one. I don't know if you listed them, but I thought they, they did the impossible, Jason. They made the Chiefs' offense look like the Chiefs' offense. I mean, just think about it. We have not seen a good version, a free-flowing offense with continuity and that actually looks to play on time for the most part, although Mahomes did Mahomes things. The injuries on that side of the ball and their inability to be physical up front – and I think the Chiefs have done something really subtle here. I think Isaiah Pacheco is almost, almost as important as Mahomes. I thought he set the tone physically. He ran hard, kept them ahead of the chains. And every time Buffalo in the first half needed a stop to extend that lead, they couldn't do it. And that's with the weather conditions and home field advantage. 
I, I really think, again, Josh Allen played Superman for about two and a half, three quarters. It was really a reckless style of game. But the way he ran the ball and is, is just running into people, Jason, that's the problem with that style of play. It's going to eventually affect your decision-making in the pocket and your accuracy. <clears throat> and I, I look, I actually thought Kansas City – was by far the better team yesterday. That did not feel like a three-point margin. If you take away the fumble out of the end zone when Andy Reid got too cute, and you take a look at they almost had a scoop and score off an Allen fumble that Dalton Kincaid made a great play. I kept thinking to myself, if the Bills win this game, they should consider themselves lucky. So in terms of ranking them, I hate to do this to Josh Allen because uh, he did a great job of exhausting himself for most of that game, trying to will them to victory. But those last two decisions, Jason, when he had short guys crossing, and I didn't understand the first throw into the end zone. I get it, it was open. But Jason, here's the problem. Let's say he hits that throw. You're giving Patrick Mahomes a minute 50 and a timeout to win the game. I actually thought you needed to run the ball to squeeze the clock or make Kansas City use a timeout. I did not understand why they did that. And then Mahomes, to me, is just waiting out there. And I'm thinking, Josh, at the very least, you got to get four to six yards this next play to make it a shorter field goal. He failed. And that decision-making is where Josh Allen falls just a little bit short of being among the very, very, very best. This is what we know about him, Jason. Pads a lot of stats, incredibly productive, plays hard, he's entertaining, but the game management moments, this is where he misses out just a little bit. This is where he loses me. And then number two, it's easy to blame Stephon Diggs, but unless you look at that film and understand and get a comprehension of what Kansas City was doing defensively on that back end, I think it's just too simplistic to say, well, he dropped a bomb. I thought that was actually a pretty tough catch. The loss of Gabe Davis uh, as the bookend receiver, I thought was really felt yesterday. But again, Stephon Diggs, he kind of brings this upon himself. So those are the first two. I think those two go hand in hand. But, Jason, you didn't talk about it. I thought the Buffalo defense was really poor last night. Totally agree with you. And so I'm I'm watching the game, and I'm sitting there like, man, we're stepping into a whole new world of like, yes, Patrick Mahomes, two-time Super Bowl champion, three Super Bowl appearances, uh, two MVPs. But I'm like, maybe this Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson deal may mm. really end up being the full wave of the future. Because I thought Josh Allen was doing a Lamar Jackson type impersonation in the running yeah. game, a little bit better a passer. And so I was like, I just watched Lamar Jackson have a great game against Houston. And I'm like, and I'm seeing Josh Allen do the same thing. And, and the only thing Josh Allen wasn't getting that Lamar does get is Baltimore's got a great defense. Well, and and Von, Von Miller was MIA yesterday. Well, he was, uh, he, I mean, the, their Jason. pass rush was MIA on a yeah, consistent I, basis. Jason, if Von Miller was a horse, he'd either be taken out the stud or the glue factory. I don't know which one, but he's at the very tail end of a Hall of Fame career. But you know what the difference is? And I spoke upon this last year. 
The difference in the Josh Allen-Lamar Jackson games that are actually a little bit more similar than people want to admit, Lamar Jackson doesn't get hit nearly as much as Josh Allen. Lamar Jackson actually avoids a lot of contact, where Josh Allen is trying to act like Larry Zonka. And, and, and I, I'm just telling you, over the course of time, when you are the quarterback, that's a very difficult way to play that game consistently well. And the other thing is, I got to give Patrick Mahomes credit, who I don't think had a great year. But he has settled in, at least this season, late into it, of being a really good game manager. Because, Jason, every quarterback has to manage that particular game and what are, what is around them. He, when, he, when you need a spectacular Patrick Mahomes play, he makes those two or three times. But he also does a good job of staying within whatever they have and understanding I don't have a Tyree kill. Travis Kelsey is no longer that guy that we've known for the last seven, eight years. So he's actually adjusted his game a little bit, stays away from turnovers for the most part, evades a lot of sacks. I think in his own way, I think he's realized this year, less is more. So, Steve, I didn't prepare you for this, but I, I saw it this morning and saw it this afternoon all over social media. Uh, Ryan Clark and Dan Orlovsky got into it a little bit uh, <laughs> on either Get Up or somewhere about Josh Allen. And, and everybody's celebrating Ryan Clark. Man, he really gave it to, you know, Josh Allen and Dan Orlovsky. And, and it's all based off the concept, the pretext that everybody's been celebrating Josh Allen and putting him on a pedestal and no one's wanted to criticize Josh Allen. And, and I'm asking authentically and sincerely, has Josh Allen been protected and celebrated? I remember starting out this year <laughs> trashing is. Josh Allen. And I remember, you know, Stefan Diggs and people like taking little pot shots and people kind of siding with Stefan Diggs. I, I don't I, I feel like Josh Allen was questioned coming into the draft as, as a rookie coming out of college. And I think there have been questions about him all throughout. And so th this whole like, oh, finally, someone is questioning Josh Allen. I just don't get it. I feel like he's been questioned his entire career. And of course, and he went into this season and into this postseason like, no, nah, man, it's time for you to uh, have some real postseason success and make it to a, a Super Bowl. And he's failed here again. And, and, you know, Warren Sapp calls him the headless horseman. I started out the year talking about his decision making and getting away with just playing on talent. And then we get to the end of the game uh, of a very important game. And, and once again, it comes down to he's not an elite decision maker. He, 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 the thing that bothered me at the very end of the game, Steve, was they let the clock run down to the two-minute warning intentionally. They blew off 30, 35 seconds to get to the two-minute warning. And so they were committed to milking the clock and making mm. sure Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense had no time. How do you come out of that two-minute warning and immediately throw to the end zone? That's where, and again, yeah. you got Stephon Diggs running underneath that's going to get you 8 to 12 yards easy, and you come out and throw immediately to the end zone to make your points like, if you score that quick and put your very vulnerable defense that's been gassed 
Maybe did they force one punt? I think I think they forced one yeah. punt all day and fumbled out of the end zone. It's just bad decision making, bad game management. There's nothing wrong with being a game manager at certain times during the game. It's and Josh Allen, I guess, falling into the Cam Newton trap of you know I, I want to be Superman all the time. But has Josh Allen been protected? I just I'm asking sincerely. I just don't remember no. that. No, because of his, I, I think he's thought upon as a good old white guy. Uh, from Wyoming, even though he's really not originally from Wyoming. And, and I, I guess he has American values and he didn't do a lot of that outward pandering that a lot of other white quarterbacks were forced to do. Remember when Ryan Tannehill was marched up with all his teammates behind him saying, I hate racism. You should hate racism. Remember that? I'm like, oh, God, did they have a gun in the back of your neck or something? But anyway, so he's become, I think, targeted. I, there's a group of guys out there in the media. A lot of them work on ESPN who look upon Josh Allen as white privilege. Never mind he's actually very productive. For all his flaws, this is what Josh Allen's going to give you every single year, basically. That's the baseline. About 4,500 yards of passing, or at least 4,000. Another five to 700 yards of rushing, and at least 40 to 45 touchdowns produced. But for all his flaws, if you say, Steve, you have to have that quarterback for 12 years, that production, I'd say, okay, I'll sign up for that. Sight unseen, I would. Because it's not actually that prevalent. But these guys look upon Josh Allen as the great white hope. And he's been targeted by them for every single flaw. And I think it's actually a blowback to some of the over-the-top criticism that Lamar Jackson gets. That, okay, if you want to rip him, we're going to rip you. Because I'll be honest, I'm going to say it right there, this is not going to be popular. If there was a black quarterback that had the track record and the numbers of Josh Allen... Uh, those guys would be protecting him like they were the secret service to Joe Biden. Let's just be honest about it. Uh, without question, a guy that just produced 50 TDs. They were, and, and so tell me this, because you, you make a separate point. Ha, has Lamar Jackson, other than perhaps coming out of the draft and Bill Polian saying the guy should play wide receiver and people being skeptical of whether he could play quarterback in the NFL. I was one of those guys. But once he proved he could play quarterback in the NFL, I think most people have been very supportive. JB, I guess, Jason Brown may be the one exception. <laughs> but but most people are on board with, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson. He's about to win his second MVP with very modest or relatively modest regular season stats, no one's going to complain about it. I think he should be the MVP as well. But, but I, I, I do think, because I was listening to Ryan Clark talk, and, and I was like, well, hold on. That, if, if Lamar Jackson somehow loses next mm. this coming Sunday, yeah, everything that Ryan Clark is saying about Josh Allen yeah. is going to apply to Lamar Jackson, and I just don't think, Ryan Clark's going to have that kind of energy to criticize Lamar Jackson. Uh, you say energy, I, I use the word integrity. But here's the difference. Uh, Josh Allen's actually had a lot more playoff success than Lamar Jackson. That's the truth. But moving ahead to this year, I think Baltimore's the best team. I said that before the playoffs. No I think they have the best squad, top to bottom, on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Zay Flowers, that impact, it has not been OBJ. It's Zay Flowers on the perimeter and a 
Todd Munkin, and then Lamar Jackson. Here's the thing. I saw you going back and forth with Coach JB about his stats. This one, I was, I was out of space about this, about how we have to kind of grade or judge the numbers of mobile quarterbacks that use their legs here and there. Jason, I've watched games where guys like Lamar, they, it feels like they have 120 yards rushing, right? And you look at the box score, and all they have is 40. And I, start, and I was thinking about, like, why does it seem like a lot more? And I'll tell you why. This is my theory. Because out of their 40 yards, they probably extend drives at least three or four times a game. So they make an eight-yard run on third and four. They get seven yards on a fourth and five. And what it does is there's an erosion process. They allow that offense to have a bridge. So instead of punting because your quarterback is a statue, all of a sudden you get a fresh set of downs. And Jason, by the third, fourth quarter, as those plays start to mount up above 65 plays, those defenses, they stop wanting to tackle as much as they did. Watch Baltimore's game. And Houston actually was really good in the first half defensively. But what happened in the second half? They did not want to get in the way of Baltimore guys. They were just kind of like, you know what, we're good. We're worn out. You've body punched us to death. And that is the impact of Lamar Jackson and quarterbacks like that, that their 40 yards of offense running the ball probably leads to another 200 yards of total offense because they allow that offense to continually stay on the field. I think without question, you're right. In ter- let's say if he runs for 40 yards, 50 yards, I bet you four or five of those runs account for a first down. Right. And <laughs> that's how you dominate and demoralize a defense. And that's why, Steve, I'm a Chiefs fan. I, I, I want the Chiefs to win. I don't think there's any chance in hell they beat Baltimore <laughs> in Baltimore this weekend. I think it's a 14-17 point game. I really do believe that. I think you can run on the Chiefs' defense, and I think Baltimore is going to run on them. And I think it's impossible or very difficult to run on the Baltimore defense. And I don't think Pacheco is going to be doing the kind of running he just did against Buffalo. I don't think people are – we're so devoted to the quarterback conversation. That we don't evaluate teams anymore. And and I, I and look, I could be proven wrong. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and, and Spagnola, it's an unbelievable combination. Got it. So I could be proven wrong. But I think we're looking at one of the great teams in NFL history in Baltimore. Uh, it's been a long time. And again, I know they've got three or four losses in the regular season, but in a 17-game schedule and with all these guys making so much money, I don't. you're just not going to see the teams go on those long 15, 16-game runs. They're going to take a week off or two or something's going to happen. I think this is one of the great teams to ever be assembled. It's dominant and physical on both sides of the ball. I think the gap between Baltimore and everybody else is more pronounced than what we've seen in a long, long time in football. All right, let, let's let's see Baltimore dominate and clearly handle two more wins before I start putting them up there with the 70 Steelers, 84 Niners, 85 Bears, 86 Giants, 91 Redskins was a really good team. 
well, okay, so let's let's table that one. In terms of what's gonna happen on Championship Sunday, Baltimore to me has not only the feel of a team of destiny, but just the overall best team, top to bottom. Top to bottom on both sides of the ball. And I think it is so poetic. It has to be this way. Um, what, what, what was that line in the wire? When you when you come for the king, you best not miss. Well, now the king's coming to town. The king is coming to town. Patrick Mahomes, undisputed champion, is coming to Baltimore. I think it's great. I think this is the matchup everyone. I, I love both championship games, by the way. Impressive storylines. All four teams are really good. But Patrick Mahomes, I get the sense that for this year, winning a road playoff game, which is a big storyline, and overcoming Josh Allen again, that's his mini Lombardi. I just don't see a team that can win it all. And if they do it, more credit to I think if, look, if Kansas City wins in Baltimore and wins the Super Bowl, it's just time to crown Mahomes. I'm just telling you, you might actually want to put him in the Brady discussion or begin to because this is such a flawed team by Kansas City standards. I agree. Uh, but let me pin down. You, you've covered yourself. both. What, but you think Baltimore is going to dominate Bal- them. Or you Baltimore think big. Baltimore is going to win. Baltimore them. big. Huh? Baltimore big. When, when I'm watching this game uh, last night, and I tweeted it, I, I, either of those teams, did I see a team that could really challenge Baltimore at home? Answer, no. No. Total agreement. Uh, I think we'll have to check in with John Hadley uh, to see where he's at on this. Uh, If you remember, he had the Eagles destroying the Tampa Bay (laughs) Buccaneers. We'll check in with Hadley to see if he he did not, if he agrees with us. So that's a little segue into uh, Tampa got eliminated by the Detroit Lions. And, mm, and mm, I'm not going to talk about Tampa first. I want to talk first about the Lions. The, the uh, 49ers squeaked by the Green Bay Packers. Do, do you think this Lions team, does this miracle season by the Lions, does it keep going? Can they compete? And I think this is a six-point spread, I think, with San Francisco. Uh, do you think the Lions can compete with the 49ers? Well, I, I read that Debo, who I think is a key component on that offense, is 50-50 to play. I don't think that can be discounted. That offense runs differently with the versatility he brings. And I think Brock Purdy has been exposed a little bit. He's a good system quarterback. But Jason, for 90% of that game, he was by far the second best quarterback on that field Saturday night before Jordan Love kind of imploded after a really good game. He did not see the pressure really well. He was jittery in the pocket and he put the ball in danger. If Detroit can stop the run on early downs and create third and long, they absolutely have a shot. There's no doubt in my mind. Dan Campbell, I don't look at this as a miracle run. I look at this as a part of their development. If you look at that young roster, they remind me a lot of the 1991 Dallas Cowboys. It may not be their year, but I see a lot of similarities to that franchise and that leadership and what's happening now. I think Detroit, I'm, I'm suspicious of Detroit. And, mm. and it's my Jared Goff. I'm, I'm not over my Jared Goff deal. I'm, I'm just not. I think he's played good in these first two playoff games. 
But this San Francisco defense could turn that guy over two or three times, and that would be curtains into this game. And and I think that Bosa and Chase Young and just Fred Warner, the back end of that defense, could end up exposing Jared Goff. And then what Brock Purdy does won't really matter. Do, do I think hmm. – I, I think Brock Purdy is going to play well. Uh, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the way that he – you know, he wasn't great uh, against the Packers. That's fine. I don't think that will prevent him from rebounding and playing well. My question is, can Jared Goff keep it up? Yeah. I'm very, very suspicious. Very suspicious. And, and Jason, later in the week, we'll have to check the weather. I think the wet football and the conditions affected Brock Purdy. However, let's go back to my Detroit Lions. You know, there was this Asian who just loved the pick of Jameer Gibbs. The peanut gallery says, you you can't pick a running back that high. <laughs> and, and this enterprising Asian said, no, 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 no. This, this kid's a playmaker. He's dynamic. And he's going to be a star. No, it was not Mina Kimes. It was me. Okay? Because Brad Holmes who's Ozzie Newsome 2.0. He is the architect of this football team. He's done as good a job as anybody the last two, three years. Uh, Dan Campbell, what a man. Dan, we are proud of you. And Sheila Hamp, the CEO. We have come together. We have put together a team. But, Jason, on a serious note, this is a game where you do not put him on a pitch count. They've been very judicious in how they've used him with David Montgomery. You know what? This is why you draft a guy number 12 at running back now. If I am Ben Johnson, given the fact that you have reservations about golf, which I think are very legitimate, right? This is a game that my game plan calls for 15 to 20 touches for number 26. Whether it's a toss pitch, draw, uh, stuff out into the flat, wheel route, run him in a slant. You got to marshal Falk him this game. You really do. So this is the game that I believe that if Jameer Gibbs is going to be a workhorse in his own way, this is the game. I think he is an X factor. He's one of the toughest matchups in football because they put him in positions to consistently succeed. I, you know what? I think I'm rooting for Detroit, and so I hope you're right. All of America is. I, they I, are America's team. Come on. Yeah. Come on. I, I, Detroit's such a great sports town. That, you know, I, I would love to see it happen. That They've waited so long for the Lions. Uh, one of my best friends from college is, you know, a former Detroit Lion, and, and he's all into it. So I, 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 hope, I hope you're right. Uh, I want to move over to Tampa just for a little bit, just because I find this <clears throat> interesting that uh, some people believe Baker Mayfield is Tampa's quarterback of the future. I'm not one of those people. I think mm. he had a nice little season. Uh, I think he's worthy of being brought back. But in terms of giving him some long-term big money deal, I don't know, man. I, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think two interceptions, game deciding, game ending interception at the end. Uh, I, I just. I don't trust Baker Mayfield. Do you see him as Tampa's quarterback of the future? I think he's a quarterback of the present. And as for the future, I don't know how long the future you want. I would sign him to about a three- to four-year deal. 
and make it reasonable. But if I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm looking for stability in my career. He's been on a lot of teams. He's become the Jim Jackson of NFL quarterbacks the last two years. He has a lot of jerseys up on that wall, right? And and if I'm Baker Mayfield's agent, I asked Tampa Bay, are you guys bringing back Mike Evans? And if they are, then I say, okay, Baker, I think this may be our best situation. Look, Baker is solid. Will he ever be truly elite? I think that lack of size, and he doesn't make up for it with like Russell Wilson-level athleticism from early in his career. So that's going to limit him. But Baker is a good NFL quarterback. He got you to the playoffs. He has a good situation with the really solid football man in Todd Bowles. Here's the question, Jason, if you're saying, no, this guy's not going to be our future or he's not going to be our our long-term investment. Well, you made the playoffs, Jason. You're not going to get Drake May or Caleb Williams or Jaden Daniels from where you're drafting. And I'm not so sure the free agent quarterback markets are always a little bit different. Right now, Baker Mayfield may be your best option if you're the Buccaneers. Uh. Why do you have to get a quarterback at the top of the draft? You can get a quarterback okay. anywhere in the draft and get him on a rookie contract. And, and, and so, to me, I, I, I don't know the details on what Seattle paid for, uh, why am I, Geno Smith. I, I don't know what they had to give up, but how much they had to pay him. But I don't, they didn't pay Geno right. $30, 40000000 million dollars a year. Jason, this came to me. And we haven't mentioned his name in a few months, and we got to get our quota in. What if Baker's modern-day Rich Gannon? Seriously. And you may think I'm nuts, but Rich Gannon, nine years in, no one would have said, hey, 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 Whitlock, here's a prediction. He's going to win the NFL MVP and lead a team. No one would have said that in 1997, 98, 99. And if you actually look at Baker Mayfield's stats, and I know they're different era, Baker's actually led two teams to the playoffs. Let's not make it sound like he's a bum here. Okay, Steve. But and I love Rich Gannon. And and you're right. Rich Gannon is a very good analogy for Baker Mayfield. You know, not, Rich Gannon was like 6'2, a little bit bigger than, but he seemed undersized. He ran around a little bit, wasn't a great runner, didn't have the most powerful arm, but threw on time and was accurate. But what you're leaving out is that Rich Gannon got thrown into the arms of John Gruden. And that's what helped him become Rich Gannon, MVP, guy that went to the Super Bowl. You know, Baker's working with a defensive-minded coach in Todd Bowles. And, and so I, I'm just not sure if that – because it's a great analogy. But you got to have that head coach or yeah. coaching – offensive mastermind in conjunction with that in order for it to be Rich Gannon. I, I just, I'm telling, the deal Seattle gave Geno is the deal Tampa should be looking to give yes. Baker Mayfield. That's I read fine. reports, though. I read reports like that they were talking about they were going to pay Baker $40 million. Ah, see. And I'm like, here we go, baby Dak. Baby Dak yeah, I, I, look, <laughs> look, there's a point where the Buccaneers may tell Baker and his people, we love you. We don't love you that much. I, love has a price. <laughs> so let's, let's love within a budget because that's what the good organizations do. Yeah, and, and, and Baker should be de- – look, if he gets $25, 28000000 a year, 
And, and look, maybe he can get more elsewhere, May, maybe. But if I was him, I wouldn't well, want to be no, moving around. He found a place where – what? I, well, hold on. Didn't Daniel Jones get like 40-ish? There's no way – I'm just telling you, the, 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 the average rate – and I'm not saying it's right or wrong – the average rate for a starting quarterback, even if you're mediocre, is much more than 25 to 30, Jason. That's just the reality of the pay scale right now in the league. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm Googling Geno Smith contract. Let me, let me, let me take a look here. Yeah. Uh, Three-year deal worth up to $75 million. Uh, The okay, contract so came with a reasonable $40 million in guaranteed money and made Smith a rare member of the NFL's middle class of quarterbacks when he signed the deal. That seems hmm. accurate to me. Hmm. Middle, Baker's a middle class quarterback. No? <sighs> Keep this in mind. Three years, $75 million. That's by, by my math, that's $25 million a year. I look, and I'm not in the mind of Baker's agent, but you would think <laughs> that based on the fact he's made two playoffs with two separate franchises, I don't think they settle for anything less than 35 million per. Not that it's right or wrong. And again, here's the problem. He may end up with the worst situation. Look, there are certain times in life you're good at a place. You're good. You should just stay there and hang your hat for a while and make it work. But again, these, these are short lifespans, and, and I don't know what Baker's thinking is. Maybe his family really likes Tampa. Maybe they like having Christmas in shorts and sandals. Maybe they enjoy not having to snubble, uh, shovel their snow out by October. We, we don't know these things. History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. I personally recommend you sign up for the Ancient Christianity. In this 11 lecture course, you'll study the inspiring stories of Jesus Christ, his apostles, and faithful ones throughout the first four centuries of Christianity. You'll also learn the key arguments of the early Christian apologists who defended the Christian faith in the face of persecution. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Enroll now in ancient Christianity to discover the improbable and miraculous story of Christianity. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash fearless to enroll. There's no cost and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash fearless to register. Hillsdale.edu slash fearless. I'll be there. Join me. All right, uh, let's move away from the NFL, Steve. Uh, let me talk about perhaps my favorite athlete right now, <laughs> oh, Caitlin <no>. Clark. Uh, <laughs> the Caitlin Clark 
Collision. The Caitlin Clark Collision. I like that. CCC. The mm-hmm. Caitlin Clark Collision is is turning into it's like the Zapruder film. And it all depends on which angle you look at it from. Uh, look, I love Caitlin Clark. Uh, let's watch. They got beat by Ohio State this weekend. Caitlin drops 45 points. Ohio State, they're ranked number two in the country. Ohio State fans storm the court after knocking her off and knocking Iowa off. And uh, there's a collision. Let, let's, let's play. I think we got a couple, two or three different angles on this. Let, let's play the Caitlin collision. I think that's one. Yeah, there, there we go. That, that to me looks like uh, the, the kid storming the court. And I think it's a woman. You know, knocks Caitlyn over, and it's a really bad look. Then I've seen—I don't know if it's this angle, but I've seen other angles where it looks to me like Caitlyn Clark knocks over uh, the guy, the kid, the woman storming the court, and then does the Caitlyn Clark spin around flop. I mean, this looks like a flop. A LeBron James level flop to me with the whole spin around. Where do you come down on the Caitlin collision? Who, who's the is she? Is this a flop? Is she over dramatizing uh, this whole deal? All right. Well, well first of all, hold on. They're, they're rushing the court for a regular season women's college basketball game. Okay. All right. Spring ball. Spring football. Practice cannot come soon enough for the fine people of Ohio State and Columbus. I good. All right. Um, I don't think there was anything particularly malicious. I think Caitlin has to do a little bit more shoulder press. I, I mean, she doesn't have to look like Dan Campbell, but gosh, she's dainty. The way she spun out of there. I mean, come on. I just, you know, and I hope this does not get rid of court rushing. I think that's one of the great traditions of college basketball. Yes, even for a women's game in the middle of January. But, Kaylin, you, you got to get to L.A. Fitness and hit the creatine. Uh, you can't get muscled like that. Come on. Really? Really? This is the athlete you love. Really. It is, I, I, I'm not going to apologize for it. This is the first bad look for her, though, because I'm telling you, it's a flop. And I, I think Caitlin initiated more contact than the actual court stormer. I'm just telling yeah, you, it's a flop, that. and Caitlin, Caitlin initiated it, and and I, I've, that's not the perfect angle, but there's a different angle where you can just tell like the the court stormer was trying to avoid, and Caitlin kind of reached out, pushed out. It's a definite flop. But the thing you're really underestimating, Steve, and, and again, I'm just into sports. I, I'm not into. I'm into great competition. I'm into interesting stories. And, dude, you are just missing out on one of the most fascinating stories in the history of sports. Oh, I'm going to analogize. With, oh, I'm, I'm telling you. Okay. I'm, I'm, this <laughs> woman has college basketball, the entire sport, on her back. The same way that Tiger Woods had the PGA Tour on his back and making it relevant. I, I stopped what I was doing to watch the last five minutes of this game because when I, I saw it, that she was going off, the people were storming the course. There's that kind of excitement. Caitlin Clark is the most relevant 
popular, interesting, fascinating college athlete since Tim Tebow. And she's carrying the sport. She's carrying the sport the same way as Tiger Woods, man. So let me guess. We are all Caitlin Clark. I (laughs) am Caitlin Clark. I'm Caitlin Clark. Oh, give me a break. Really? Okay. First of all, I want to admit something. I actually had the TV on to this game only because I was waiting for the uh, NFL coverage to follow. And as soon as the game went into overtime, I'm like, ah, geez, I'm stuck with this. Anyway, you know, since you love sports, you know what I used to love about the old Georgetown teams of the 80s? Nobody stormed the court on them. Because <laughs> number one, they never really lost. Could you imagine a bunch of college kids rushing the court on Patrick Ewing, Michael Graham, Horace Broadnax, and Gene Smith, those oh. soldiers? I mean, you, they, they would part like the Red Sea among those guys. Now, Caitlin, toughen up, do some shoulder presses, and stop acting like a, a female Asian driver. Look where you are going and signal and run. Get out of the way of people. Jeez. <laughs> Sick. You're a sick man, Whitlock. You love college football. You remember what a big deal Tim Tebow was and how polarizing. Yeah, it was terrible. We're looking at the same. You hated it? You hated Tim Tebow in college? I hated the Gators. Yes, I hate. Yeah. As a Miami fan, I I was not a Miami fan. uh, But I respect. But here's the thing the country actually cares about college football. Jason, we don't care about women's hoops. Come on. Just stop. Steve, you're missing Just. the boat. You may not care, but people are starting to care. Oh, God. If I was the NCAA, I'd be trying to figure out a way to give this woman a six-year of eligibility. I wouldn't want her ever to graduate from college because she's making the sport relevant. There are people jealous, Don Staley and all these other people jealous and mad at her. And, and, and think she's the worst thing in the world. She's benefiting from white privilege. No, she's a better player. She's a more exciting yeah. player than what we've ever seen right. in college, women's college basketball. And she's drawing eyeballs and attention. It's undeniable. I, you know, you can stick your wow. head in the sand, but this ain't soccer. Right. This, isn't, right. this isn't Megan Rapinoe. This isn't, uh, what's her name? Who's the Becky Hammond or what, what was the name that took her? Brandy Chastain that took her top off. All that manufactured BS. People are tuning in to see this woman ball, and they're, Jason, they're not I'm being for They're this. not doing it out of some guilty conscience over oh we've mistreated women and we gotta we gotta support her because she's a woman and this is so great. While everybody's sitting there got toothpicks in their eyes trying to keep them open watching women play <laughs> soccer. <laughs> This is actually exciting and fun to watch and real. I, I just, I can't believe you're just going to ignore it. Jason, I'm just going to tell you this right now. A lot of what you say, I don't disagree with. She's a spectacular player in her realm. Now, with that said, I want to say this. If I find out that you filled out a women's college basketball March Madness bracket, <laughs> and if you're going to Iowa basketball March Madness watch parties, uh, I may resign. I, I, I just be like, okay, it's it. It's it. Whitlock jumped the shot. I'm going to tell you what I'm capable of. Oh, no. I'm going to tell you what I'm capable of. Oh, no. I'm capable of flying my butt up to Iowa just to see this woman play oh, in person. Because I think it's that historic. It's no Wait different. Anytime I, I, I walked Pebble Beach with <sighs> Tiger Woods at the U.S. Open. I can't remember the year, but he destroyed the entire field by like 17, 18 strokes. 
I walked all on, I think I was on that Saturday, I walked every hole with him because I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part of it. I, I, I want to go up to Iowa to see this woman play. She's incredible. This, I don't even know who you are anymore. I, I mean, you won't even take a, <laughs> a flight to football palooza, something you've tabled for about four months. Like, yeah, I want to go to Iowa City. Oh, really? Why? Women's basketball. I mean, look, I'll admit, the Iowa women's basketball team is a lot more entertaining than the Iowa football team. I mean, that offense, I get it. Ferenc, bro, your son. I get it, but boy, oh, go ahead. I would love to see you do a special fearless remote. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Oh, go, go ahead. Do it. Do it. You know what? I'm going to reach out to Steve Dace and, and Jill <sighs> Savage and see if they can get me tickets up there because I will go up to Iowa just to see my girl and I would help her tell her not to flop, though. That was a bad look. Yeah. Uh, let me move on to... A media topic that we, we, we touched on, I think, last week, but I wanted to circle back to it just a little bit more. This demise of Sports Illustrated mm, and, mm, and, mm. And, and just because I gave it a lot. Everybody was sharing their favorite Sports Illustrated covers over the weekend. And, and it, it reminds me, the, the demise, the fall of Sports Illustrated somewhat reminds me of... of uh, CNN's collapse because CNN mm. was dominant and and it was like oh my god and then they they became nothing they let they opened the door for Fox News and CNN became completely or mostly irrelevant and now it's the I think it's the third place news outlet good but it made me think that could ESPN be in the process uh of the exact same thing as Sports Illustrated, because it took about 20 years for Sports Illustrated to totally fall. But but the fall really did start 15, 20 years ago. I, I gotta remember when Rick Riley left uh, the magazine, but, but it, it raises the question of, could we, 10 years from now, see the total fall of ESPN? Uh, is, is that what we're in the middle of? The, you know, seeing a, a brand, an iconic brand like that fall, could it also happen to ESPN? I don't know if it would be as pronounced, but we've already seen the decline or the erosion. I mean, Jason, for about 10 years now, haven't we been talking about, not we, but we've seen the reports of how ESPN every single year seems to be in less and less homes. I mean, there was a time there in well over 100 million homes and now they're at about, what, 75 to 80? I mean, that, that's a pretty good chunk of, of uh, subscribers to lose. And also the impact that they had. I, if you look at the ratings, because of the advent of social media and YouTube channels and independent uh, content providers that me and you watch on a daily basis, we no longer have just one option. ESPN is not the end-all and be-all anymore. And I think with a lot of their politics, which are very left-leaning, highly liberal, they've turned off a good part of America that, that has learned you can live without ESPN. Because again, the downfall of Sports Illustrated, it wasn't just sudden. It really wasn't. It was a gradual erosion. And it's sad to see. No matter, I, look, I have not picked up a Sports Illustrated in years. I didn't like what the product had become. And the recent releva uh, revelation that they had used AI 
I mean, this is a company that once had Frank DeFord, Gary Smith, prolific writers like Rick Callender that helped really influence me as someone that wanted to be in media to do that. And then the beloved swimsuit issue, what they allowed that to become. I mean, where have you gone, Paulina Poroskova? I, I love that European. She was great. She was elite. She was elite. And then to replace it with this, they deserve this, Jason. They really did. They do. Steve, one thing that, and look, obviously the technological advances, the advent of ESPN.com yes. uh, hurt, undermined uh, Sports Illustrated. There, there's a lot of factors. But, but, but one thing that I figured out late, and it really was, I think Rick Riley left Sports Illustrated in 2007 maybe. Uh, and, and if you remember, he came over to ESPN.com and could not compete in that world and that realm. Yeah. If you remember, it was he was a disaster at ESPN.com. But one thing I figured when when he left, and I, I wish I could remember the name of the editor of or editor in chief of uh, Sports Illustrated at the time. I think his name was Terry something. Uh, he reached out to me about the possibility of replacing Rick Riley as the back page columnist uh, at Sports Illustrated. And, and I can remember getting into that conversation with him and reaching the conclusion like, oh, I would never fit in oh, at no. Sports Illustrated. I, they were a bunch of Ivy League, elite school educated, you know, you had to go to Northwestern or Columbia J yeah. School or Mizzou's J School, or you had to go to an Ivy League school or Michigan, you know, Stanford, these elite. And I'm like, oh, the Ball State guy with the 2.3 GPA uh, with these working class values, I didn't fit the culture at, at Sports Illustrated. And it's like, oh, they do a different kind of sports writing. They're actually disconnected from the stereotypical sports fan. And so it's like they got away with for years of having a worldview that was yeah. disconnected from <clears throat> the people like you and me that were digesting uh, their content and loving it, but not realizing uh, that the people working there probably hated us and looked down on us and thought we were idiots. Yeah, by the way, when that editor called you, did he use a football phone? That's one of my life greatest <laughs> regrets that I never subscribed when they had those off. I always want, I, I would use that football. I don't even use landlines. By the way, if anyone out there has a football phone for sale from Sports Illustrated, let me know. I'll take that off your hands. But Jason, I will say this. Growing up, and I think we talked about this before, you could watch a great event. You could get all the newspaper stories. You could watch all the news reports. But to me, I didn't get the final story. And it really didn't end until I got into that Tuesday or really the Wednesday or Thursday of that following week. And you read the story about that particular event and you got it. I mean, the joy that I would get over seeing certain covers, whether it was Michael Jordan, whether it was a boxing match, whether it was a Miami Hurricane after one of their bowl wins. And then these things, I mean, what other magazines do you know of, Jason, that become collectibles the minute you get them? Because I know people that have decades full of Sports Illustrated. I mean, they're sold at trade shows, uh, memorabilia shows. 
And I know athletes have said making the cover of Sports Illustrated, it was almost as good as winning like a Heisman Trophy. It's it's a really, uh, it was a special era. It had a great influence on me and millions of others, whether you wanted to be in journalism or sports writing or not. And it truly is an end of an era. I don't think I am overstating that at all. It 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 is. Uh, if you had to, well, it's just it's simple. The internet killed Sports yeah. Illustrated. Once information started moving faster than their, I think Tuesday night deadline for s- stuff that people would receive on Thursday, and and now it's like, well, I already got this information. It was yeah. on ESPN.com. That was it. But, but, but then when you look and ask yourself, here's Rick Riley, a guy that had an incredible reputation while at Sports Illustrated and was a total disaster <laughs> online. And, and remember how jealousy used to be of Bill Simmons? And yeah. Bill Simmons would write those 3,000-word columns, and Rick Riley would write seven, 800 words, and you know everybody would be taking a dump on Simmons. And I was like... Why, why are you taking a dump on Simmons? You know, yeah. you do something different than him, but, you know, what he's doing is obviously working. Why, why do you think Rick Riley did not train? I mean, because he really ruined his reputation yeah, with those years I, at ESPN and became a laughingstock. I remember there were reports that he was basically rewriting old columns. And, like, yeah. he was using the same lines. I'm like, oh, but here's the thing. Maybe he was not built to be an Internet blogger. And Bill Simmons was because he's a much younger guy. I've done both types of writing, and it is an art form. Uh, I've always said, what's more difficult, writing a long range or long piece that you have to really research, get quotes, or saying, hey, Steve, 750 words, do something. Like like a Jim Murray. He was an absolute artist. I I still read Jim uh, Murray's books on his greatest pieces. It's unbelievable the way that guy could just capsulize something really quickly but also i have a great appreciation for gary smith and the profiles that so i think both need to be appreciated because i enjoy both but i mean jason i i still remember some of the lines it was walt hazard's first year at the ucla bruins as the head basketball coach and it seemed like in the month of december they played every good team in the country they played st john's they played memphis and they're getting blown out every game. It was Reggie Miller as a skinny guy at a Riverside. It was like a, just a sophomore. No one knew he could play. And a bunch of other guys that were not very good. And Curry Kirkpatrick wrote, man, this December slate, this is the toughest march since the Baton Death March. I mean, <laughs> and it kind of made me look, what's the Baton Death March? And Curry Kirkpatrick had an incredible, sharp wit. And then you had Dr. Z, Paul Zimmerman, who I believe had a great influence on me as a football fan. I remember one year, I think it was 1984, he did the All-Pro team, which was like a great honor. And being a Ram fan, I remember his safety was Vince Newsom. And I said, you know what, Vince Newsom, you didn't make the Pro Bowl, but you made Paul Z's All-Pro team. Man, me and Paul Zimmerman, we respect. And I still remember to this day that Vince Newsom Never really did in terms of like making a Pro Bowl, but he was a hard-hitting guy, had a good career. And the fact that Paul Zimmerman, out of all people, would say, you know, I've been watching a lot of film. I mean, every time this guy plays, he's blowing stuff up and stuff happens. He's on my all-pro team. 
I, I used to look forward to that thing every single year. They were the authority on sports and what they said trumped what everyone else said. And it, it's like, we don't have that anymore. Who, who, who is, is, there's no media entity, and I'm not even sure if there's a personality or a journalist out there who is the respected authority on sports. And, hmm. You know, take, take Adrian Wojnarowski or Adam Schefter, they may have that reputation, but everyone's kind of figured out is like, they it's just true. pass on yeah. the information they're fed. Transactions. It's transactions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who was telling a story? Jason, one thing that I started doing a lot last year, I make it a point to just read books now at the office. I will set apart at least three or four hours a week in my office in Montebello. And I, I just bought about six or seven books on Fernando Valenzuela, the 80 Celtics, from guys like Dan Shaughnessy, really good writers. I still appreciate, and, and I don't. again, I'm old, but Jason, there's something about reading something in print form that appeals to me. Not that I don't use my phone, but I could actually, when I go on a plane, Jason, I don't have a tablet. I don't go on the internet. I actually just bring a book and just get lost in it. And, and I'm thinking to myself, as you ask that question, who is that writer from today that is a must read, whether it's in the newspaper or in a magazine format, I'm not so sure that I can come up with anybody off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Steve, let me narrow down that question or, or maybe even broaden it, is, is like, there's no authority yeah. on sports. There's no one who, whether it's in writing or a radio show or anything, there is no authority, and, and this, Goes back to like why, and and I'm gonna push people's buttons here, but it's just factual. It's what I'm thinking. It's why I'm sitting here questioning and spent the last two weeks like questioning, like how does Stephen A. Smith get put into position where they're trying to pass him off as the authority when he doesn't know sports and he seems to be a pathological liar. And, and we went from a Dr. Z or a Peter King being the yes, voice King. on the NFL uh, to, you know, Jack McCollum was the uh, authority yep. on the NBA. Peter Vesey was yes. a trusted voice on the NBA to, to now we have nothing but uh, people that are puppets for Adam Silver or Roger Goodell or diversity, equity, and inclusion. We don't have any trusted voices on any of this. Yeah, I mean, Jason, a, a, a guy that I loved at the LA Times, which is going through a lot of struggles, and I think is one of the most underrated all-time great NBA beat writers, Mark Heisler. And I remember yeah. when I was an avid newspaper writer, every Sunday during the NBA season, he'd get two full pages, so you flayed it out. And he'd give you tidbits, notes, stories, quotes from certain people. And every Sunday, it, it was probably for me, probably took me a good 20 minutes to just digest it. Like you'd read it like, oh, yeah, Indiana Pacers. They got some issues there. Oh, what's going on in New Jersey? But by the time you read every one of those things, you're like, OK, I got the NBA. Like, I know what's going on with the Lakers. Don't care about the Clippers, but the rest of the league, Heisler, thank you. And like you'd look forward to it 
every seven days. Uh, so who is that guy? Doug Gregorian, who, by the way, watches this show. Doug, if you're out there, hello. Um, where are the Doug Gregorians anymore? Where are they? Where have you gone? It's I'll sad. go back. Remember when Peter Vesey wrote in USA oh, Today? He was great. He would write hilarious things about oh. the NBA and accurate. And just yeah. like he gave me that. And it's like that's all outlawed now. All you can do is, you know, spread propaganda. It's, it's. I mean, we're Jason, old guys shouting on our lawn, but it's sad, one man. One last thing. Uh, Peter Vesey had one of the great nicknames. When Mark Cuban was this young owner way back in the 90s making all these ill-advised trades, <laughs> Peter Vesey called him, his nickname was Easy Mark. I mean, just that little cutting line. Didn't have to be <laughs> all that fancy. <laughs> And Cuban hated it. The guy like Vesey kept calling him, well, easy Mark Cuban with another. It was great. We don't have that anymore. It's and, it's just and us. literally, it's just us. As, I, literally, that's where I was going to go. And I hate to say it, but it's just like I'm, I'm vilified and demonized for trying to tell people what's really going on. And, it, and it's like they've convinced the public. No, I'd rather be lied to, and I'd yeah. rather uh, hear the fantasies and the clown show of a Stephen A. Smith or a Skip Bayless. I, I'd rather hear that than someone tell me the honest-to-goodness truth about what's going on in any of these sports leagues or with any of these athletes. Yeah, I mean, Jason, what you need to do, I'm just telling you, print out a copy of your NBA All-Star Las Vegas weekend column. Print it out like they do, like the Declaration of Independence, and sell autographed copies or make an NFT out of it. I mean, that to me, that if you were Nas, that's your ether. That I mean, it just I can no, read that listen, every day. Let me laugh. check. If anybody from Kansas City is watching, listening to this show, you got to tell Steve what he's really missing out <laughs> on. I used to do this thing at the end of the not the at the end of every year. I would grade all 53 members of the Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> my Chiefs report card. And it oh. was like Dr. Z. I'd get two pages yeah. in, in the Kansas City Star. I evaluated the coaches, the general manager, the whole, and the whole organization. Oh, Grades man. for everybody, funny comments. That And, and I mean, I, when I look back on it, if I was allowed to do that now, I would be assassinated. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm just I, I would be... By one of the players. I guarantee you, 97 or 98, uh, Andre Risen probably read that and wanted to burn your house down. Yeah, I can only imagine what was going on in that column. Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just uh, – I'll never forget, <laughs> end of the year, Steve Bono. Steve Bono. Oh, yeah, quarterback. Was quarterback. So, when he was a quarter, yeah, quarterback. I go into the locker room after my Chiefs grades come out. And he literally, legitimately tells me that I made his wife cry. That she, oh, she, read, she, she read my chief's grade, and it's great on him, and she cried, and he was upset with me about it. And Boy, she's <sighs> lucky she didn't play in the age of social media, her husband. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, all right, uh, final deal. Uh, we'll do a whole pivot on a guy that does keep it real. Dana White. Mm, I don't. Mm, did you mm, see Sean, Sean yes, Strickland, UFC fighter, was it star of UFC 297, 
lost in a controversial decision this weekend. But before that, before UFC 297, Sean Strickland uh, got into it with a Canadian reporter about the LGBTQ deal and Justin Trudeau and, you know, Sean Strickland's pretty raw, profane, uh, very direct, uh, very in-your-face. And so this was a controversial. I mean, he's cursing at the guy, and he's clowning uh, the reporter. And, and it started over the reporter asking him, hey, a couple years ago you wrote that if you had a son, you'd want him to be heterosexual, you wouldn't want him to be gay. And Sean Strickland just immediately started attacking the guy. Good for him. Well, Dana White... <laughs> the founder of UFC, uh, basically defended uh, Sean, Strickland, Sean Strickland, and I loved it. Let's, let's watch the clip. Dana, I just want to go back. Um, you were talking about, like, you obviously give a long leash to your fighters about, you know, what they can say when they are up there with a UFC microphone and you are getting into territory of homophobia, transphobia. Like, is there... I don't give anybody a leash. Well, I'm saying you... A leash? I'm st like free speech. Gonna control when, what people say. Going to tell people what to believe. Going to tell people. I don't tell any other human being what to say, what to think, and there's no leashes on any of them. What is your question? I was asking that question. I'll move on, though. Yeah, uh, probably a good idea. That's ridiculous <laughs> to say I give somebody a leash. Free speech, brother. People can say whatever they want, and they can believe whatever they want. If and I don't think there's any. We had we had we had two gay women who fought in the co-main event. They sat on the stage with Sean Strickland. They could give a shit what Sean Strickland thinks, or what he says, or what his beliefs are, or what his opinions are. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Mm -mm. Woo! Love it. Wish that uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I wish this guy was commissioner of the NFL. I think he unintentionally got to really the heart of the issue. There's a group of journalists and people in the world that want to put leashes on people, what they can say and can't say. It's completely un-American. We have freedom of speech here, and we need to get back to an era where people had tougher skin than to pretend to fall apart because someone has said something they disagree with, don't like, whatever. Uh, I just, I love what Dana White just said there, and I love the way he called the guy out. Uh, there are so many people happily running around with a leash on and being controlled, and you must think this, or you're not black, you must think this, or you're homophobic or transphobic, and, and they're demanding that you abandon what you really believe in, in order to be in compliance with the leash they have around your neck. Your thoughts on Dana White? Yeah, I mean, look, when everyone says, no, we need to have a conversation, here's the problem that is so dishonest about a lot of these journalists or writers, whatever you want to call them, when they ask you questions. They do not want a conversation. They are demanding your conversion to their beliefs. And they're not being journalists. They're being activists. And now a certain group, now look, I really believe the UFC is that one company because of their leadership and their philosophy that the athletes and a guy like Dana White can be so unfettered in just letting it go. And, and But I think a lot of these Canadians 
who are so under the thumb of that regime, this whole concept that, hey, there's actually a First Amendment in America, there's freedom of speech, and this is the biggest part, Jason, not everyone's going to agree with your worldview. I, I don't understand at what point in, the, in this world did we come to a point that not everyone's going to agree with you. I, I have long, I'm just telling you, my life has been much better off when I have learned, not only do, can we agree to disagree, um, I can actually not even care about your opinion and just live my life. But I, I, I don't like this whole notion now that when a guy interviews a subject, they almost ask these questions with a demand that you have to answer the way I like. I think that's the most dishonest form of journalism taking place today. See, they don't want a conversation. They want confirmation of right. their views, period, end of story. And, and you can't, a society can't operate that way. It can't evolve that way. It can't be run in a, a efficient, fair way if, if you can't ever say anything that makes someone else uncomfortable or, or, or you're yeah. at the uh, mercy of their sensibilities and sensitivity. Oh my God, you said something that hurt my feelings and therefore you must never be allowed to say those things again. That's crazy. It's just crazy. And so if someone wants to walk up to me and say, hey, Jason, you're fat and it hurts my feelings. So what? Yeah, it, it's it, just I, I, I and take Sean Strickland and I look at. And this is for me and I'm going off in a direction I haven't prepared you for, and, and, but you can handle it. You're a big boy. Uh, but I look at Sean Strickland. And the reputation is that black athletes, they're all Muhammad Ali and LeBron James is the next iteration of Muhammad Ali. And they're all in the tradition of uh, Tommy Smith and what? I don't know what. Who am I forgetting the other? John Carlos. John Carlos and Tommy Kurt Smith. Blood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all of these, these modern day black athletes are cowards. Do you know how many, many of them believe everything that came out of Sean Strickland's mouth, but they're afraid to say it because they don't yeah. want to cut off their access to money and, and being popular over social media. And we sit around and pretend like Colin Kaepernick is doing something bold and courageous when most, they're all on a leash. And, and I'm so sick and tired of us acting like uh, there's, some, there's some kind of profound revolutionaries and they're courageous and Man, they're spoken out for Black Lives Matter and all. They've done what they've been told to do. They don't even believe it. Most of them agree with Sean Strickland. It, it, it's infuriating to me well, just to how we've turned the truth inside out. Going back to Sean Strickland, who lost the kind of a controversial, very close fight on Saturday. I happened to watch that fight. Putting that aside... I, it's going back to that exchange that he had with that reporter. That reporter was so proud to say, well, yes, I'm an ally. Right. And you know what? Sean Strickland has a right to say, number one, I don't care. Number two, I'm not. Seriously, your allyship should have nothing to do with what I believe in. Like, I don't have an issue with you being an ally. That is your right. I have the right to not care. 
<laughs> or align with that allyship. Or be an opponent. What, yes. what you, if you have right. no opponents, what do you align against? Yeah. <laughs> Steve, uh, thank you so much. Uh, great job as always. Uh, we'll play some tomorrow, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow.